Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Sadiqua Johnson is the author of The House of Eve. Sadiqua is the award-winning author also of And Then There Was Me, Second House from the Corner, Love in a Carry-On Bag, and Yellow Wife. Yellow Wife was a 2022 Hurston Wright Foundation Legacy nominee, a BCLA Literary Honoree, and a Barnes & Noble Book Club pick in paperback. Her other accolades include winning the National Book Club Conference Award, the Phyllis Wheatley Book Award, and the USA Best Book Award for Best Fiction. She is a Kim Bilio Fellow and teaches in the MFA program at Drexel University. Originally from Philadelphia, she currently lives near Richmond, Virginia with her husband and three children, and 
by the way, the website I was trying to remember was called Jolly Vintage. You'll see what I mean. Welcome, Sadiqa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The House of Eve. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here. Oh, it's so wonderful to chat with you. I've been devouring this book. I love it. I love the characters. I could not put it down. I, you know, you never know when you pick up a book, what hits you and what doesn't. And this just like totally got me. So anyway, really enjoyed so much. Thank you so much. That means a lot because, you know, as writers, we spend a lot of time in our heads and our offices by ourselves and you really never know what's going to (laughs) happen once you turn that book in. That's true. I feel like your characters though are so real. You're like rooting for them so much from the very beginning. Uh, You just become immediately invested in their emotions and their lives and the stakes that they're, I mean, it's just, uh, it's hard not to feel compassion and, you know, root for the, for the women in this book. I mean, really. So it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Explain to listeners what the book is about. Okay. Well, The House of Eve uh, is set in 1950s. It goes back between two different perspectives. So uh, Ruby is a 15-year-old girl who's on track to be the first in her family to attend college, in spite having a mother who is more interested in her boyfriend than she is in taking care of her daughter. A taboo love affair threatens to pull her back into poverty, which has been let pretty much laid out for her like a birthright. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., we have Eleanor Quarles, who arrives with ambition and secrets. And she falls in love with the handsome William Pride at Howard University. But getting into his family is not as easy as she thinks. They don't just let anybody into their fold. And so these two women's stories collide in a very interesting way. And at the heart of the story, there's this thing that sort of pulls them all together. And hope it's a really satisfying read. It is a really satisfying read. I also think this is one of the most perfect, you know, almost like a wedding gift type of thing. Like if you think your mother-in-law is tough, read this book. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hard to fit into someone else's family. And particularly when they have all these sort of preconceived notions and prejudice and all of that, and which was just horrific here. But anyway... And that was fun. It was sort of fun for me to dive into, you know, um, diving into what social class felt like. And, you know, during these times in the 50s, what family looked like and sort of playing all the roles, you know, as the writer, I get to play all the different parts in the story. So that was a lot of fun. That's wonderful. Um, And I love that you have a character who is an archivist at the library, which is great. I felt like we were looking at all the things as as she pulled them out and we could kind of, you would give us like little glimpses at the actual materials. Is that something that you've been involved in yourself? Not so much, but I do like to include real characters in my historical fiction novels. And when I was doing research on Howard University, which is where Eleanor and William meet, I came across a woman named Dorothy Porter. And for 40 years, she was responsible for amassing the largest collection of African, African African-American, African-Caribbean art and artifacts and literature uh, for the Moreland Spingarn collection at the library. And so I thought, wow, she needs to be on my story. Amazing. Did you go to Howard? I should know this. I I should have looked. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. No, I didn't go to Howard and I didn't even go to an HBCU. So this was also another part of me like living vicariously through my characters so that I could have that experience because um, I did not. 
Amazing. You have a character, Shimmy, who sort of attracts the attention. Shimmy, right? That's his name? Yeah. Attracts the attention of Ruby. So he is a a white Jewish boy. His father's an alcoholic. And, you know, they work in the neighborhood at their store. Well, he works at a different store. Um, The father's like the super, essentially, right? I mean, ish. Mm -hmm. But yet Ruby is living with her aunt and she's black. And there is so much neighborhood, societal, community antagonism around this whole relationship, not to mention that at the time it's still illegal for white and black people to marry. And it had only been ratified in one state that it was okay to do this. And yet here they are, this little, these young, you know, these crushes on each other as it begins. I won't like say more, but tell me about that setup and why a Jewish character and why, you know, yeah, just tell me about, about that. Yeah. So when I was working on um, the story of Ruby, I really picked my mother's brain. My mother grew up in North Philadelphia. And in fact, the apartment that uh, Aunt Marie lives in, where Ruby eventually finds herself in, um, is one that my mother described to me from her childhood. And that it was across the street from the gas station and it was on top of a paint store. And the landlord was Jewish. And I thought, wow, what would happen if the landlord's son and this young black girl fell in love? I mean, it's the 1950s. It's completely taboo. What would they each be bringing to the table? You know, um, and I always like to say that love knows no color. It knows no class. There's always a love story somewhere. I remember after the hurricane in New Orleans, there was a photographer who was at the Metrodome and, or the Superdome, and everybody's like in blankets and shelters. And he caught a picture of a boy looking at a girl, like in the midst of all of that tragedy, (laughs) there was the love of the boy looking at the girl. And I thought the same thing for the house of Eve, that in the midst of all of these you know, wonderful and horrific and things that are happening in the story, there's always love and, and there's there's always unlikely love in, in, in stories. And, and I thought that the two of them together was just a wonderful pair. I just enjoy writing them so much. I guess. Meanwhile, William Pride, I want to like go find this guy. He sounds like, so I was like, I have to meet this man. (laughs) What a cutie. Oh my gosh. I love how you, I mean, you could literally like feel his like sexiness sort of off the page. It's it's hard to do that in right. I mean, it's it's good. I don't know. Something about his back and the way you wrote about I, that. And, I, and that was the first his thing dimples, that came. His long What's dimples the, and... Yeah, that back. I'm telling you, the first, very first scene that I envisioned with Eleanor and William, it was his back. And I thought, where did that come from? And it just became a theme throughout the story. Wow. So how much of this did you have in mind before you started? Like what germ of an idea did you begin with and how much was outlined versus what unfolded as you went? Well, the story actually started when I start thinking about my own family history. I had an idea of Ruby. I knew that she was a 15-year-old girl. I knew that she had a body shaped like a Coca-Cola bottle and that men, grown men, catcalled her on the street. And I knew she had a mother who didn't want her. And that was like it. And as I started thinking about my own family history, I remembered that my grandmother told me that she had gotten pregnant with my mother at age 14 and that she had her at 15 and she was unmarried and she was shamed and her family was completely and utterly disappointed. And so they hid the pregnancy from everyone, including the child. So my mother tells me that she didn't know my grandmother 
with her mother until she was in the third grade, because up until that point, she had lived with her grandmother. And I thought, wow, what does this do to the child? And what does this do to the mother? And this was the early 1950s. And if my grandmother had other opportunities, how could her life have turned out differently? And this was the beginning of me doing a little research. And I came across these maternity homes. And I found that between 1945 and 1975, 1.5 million babies were born in these homes. This was before IVF. This was before adoption was not sort of a taboo, secretive thing. And so these babies were pretty much given over to families. And these girls were coerced. Um, They were forced. Sometimes they knew what they were going into the homes for. Sometimes it was a form of punishment. When they wanted to keep their babies, they were often told that they could not. But as I was doing this research, I couldn't find a single Black woman's story in all of the research that I found. And so I thought, well, what did Black women do, you know? And so I read a few articles that said, well, you know, they would go down south and have the baby and leave it with a relative. But I wasn't satisfied with that answer because, you know, as a as a Black woman, I know that our stories are not a single narrative, right? I know that it's not just what you see on these reality TV shows. Like, we are so much more than that. And I found a book called Our Kind of People by Lawrence Otis Graham. And in the book, he talks about the evolution of these really upper echelon Black families beginning in Reconstruction going up through the 80s. And in Washington, D.C., there was a group of doctors and lawyers and judges, and they went to Howard and they went to Cotillions. And I thought, well, what did those women do when they wanted to have a baby? And so that was how the thread started to come together for me. But Eleanor, I was just in my office one day and I promise you, she just sort of walked in and she was full of rage and I could feel desperation coming off of her. And I thought, okay, you want to be in the story. So luckily I was in the outlining phase of the story. And so I was able to pivot and figure out how to take I always say I have these beautiful Christmas ornaments, but I need to figure out how to put them on the tree and bring it all together. And so once she came into the story, things started to sort of flow and and fill itself out. Wow, that is so fascinating. Oh my gosh. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. 
it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. How did you come up with the name Nini? Because that's actually my my husband's grandmother. That's what he called her. She passed away, but I sent him a screenshot of when I was reading um, all these scenes with Nini. Where'd the name come from? So my grandmother's mother, so my great grandmother, we used to call her Grandma Ninin. And I thought, oh, I want to do something sort of similar. And I'm always trying to honor my ancestors and all of the stories that I wrote. And so it was sort of a nod to her. Oh, that's nice. We even have a family business on my husband's side called Nini's Treats, which makes crumb cake. Oh. So if you ever, I should send you one actually. Well, yes, you should. I, I'll send you one. I'll send you one after this. Um, that's wonderful. Scenes like working in the department stores, going downtown, like that scene was so striking when Ruby and her aunt, you know, her aunt gets all dressed up and they go downtown to buy stockings and it's this whole big production. And then she gets met with the most horrific, you know, vitriol by a white woman passing her in the street, calling names and all of that. And really, you know, taking the wind out of her sails is an understatement, right? Just totally gutting her. Tell me about that scene and that moment. And did that come from your family history or... That that scene of Aunt Marie taking Ruby downtown, um, I did grow up in Philadelphia. I think I mentioned that. Um, But I was talking to a book club friend who read an earlier draft of Yellow Wife for me. And she told me a very similar story had happened to her in Birmingham, Alabama. And I thought, oh my gosh, like it just never left me. And this was years ago. And so as I was writing the story, I knew that I needed to have that pivotal moment with Ruby, where she was faced with racism head on. Because as the woman who experienced it in Birmingham said, it was the first time that had ever happened. And it just took the wind out of her sails. And you never forget that first time where racism is directed specifically at you. And I thought we need to have that moment for Ruby specifically because she's in the relationship with Shimmy. Oh, I love when I love the matzo ball soup cameo in this book. <laughs> it's like books where you would not expect a bowl of matzo ball soup to appear. But there you go. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I always try and bring in as many cultural aspects as yeah. I can into a story. <laughs> you have Ruby in the first person, but Eleanor is in the third person. Why did you do that? So as I mentioned, Ruby came first and... She came and she was up close and she was in my face. And I knew that we needed to walk through the story sort of through her eyes, almost feeling like you were with Ruby, like you were Ruby. 
And because Eleanor came second, she sort of came, even though it was that rage and that desperation, there was a little bit of space between she and I. I could feel that space. And so my entry point to her was third per- third person. And I wasn't sure um, if it was going to fly. I just thought, I'm going to write it this way. And as it got through my agent, she said, oh, that's interesting. Why did you do that? And I'm like, this is why. She's like, we'll leave it and we'll figure it out. And then when it got to my editors, they, again, that's interesting. And no one told me to change it. And so I'm like, good, I'm going to stick with it. You know, <laughs> I, I do leave a little bit of space because I think my the professionals that you have around you are your professionals for a reason. So I leave a little bit of space for, you know, to see what they're going to say. But they're like, oh, that's interesting. And that was sort of it. And so it, it was able to stay. Love it. Well, what are you working on now? Oh my goodness. So first of all, I am getting ready for this amazing tour for the House of Eve. I'm going to be on the road for a six, seven, eight weeks straight. Oh my gosh. It is really, I mean, it's everything that I've always asked for. So I, I am trying to be in a place of gratitude and not in a place of fear of all the airplanes and trains and automobiles I need to catch to meet everyone. But I'm I'm really focused on that. I have a new idea in my head for a novel and I'm trying to just scratch out my outline before I go on tour so that I have something to come back to. It's just seeds right now, but it is another historical and it takes place in the late 1940s, maybe up to about the mid 1960s. Uh, another person who I found in history who is a unknown character or or not a well-known person, but I think that her her life was beautiful and her story needs to be told. And so I'm trying to figure out how to tell it, you know, as a historical fiction writer, I, I find, or I feel that my job is to go into these dark spaces and flash a light on women, particularly, um, but stories that have been untold or have been forgotten or have been mistold Mm -hmm. and, and give them justice, you know? And so that's what I want to do with this next novel. So I'm still kind of spreading my little seedlings around. So we'll see what comes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, wait, back to the tour. So how many places are you going? I feel where, like... Where are you going? So I am going to... I'm in Richmond. So it's Richmond, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., uh, Wilmington, Delaware, Raleigh, North Carolina, Jackson, Mississippi, Oxford, Mississippi, wow. Denver, Colorado, a few stops in California... Uh, Rhode Island, um, so New Jersey, so I'm sort of everywhere, um, Indianapolis, so I'm going to be busy. I'm going to be really, really busy. Oh my gosh. How does your teenager feel about this? Um, well, they are. I'm trying to sort of give them a little bit more responsibility uh, so that they can kind of fend for themselves. I'm like, honey, you're not going to be able to ask me what's for dinner. You know, last <laughs> night, she, the, my 17-year-old came in and had like 30 minutes. She's like, mom, where's dinner? I have to go back to school. And I'm like, okay, let me just pull it together. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be here, love. You're going to have to pull it together. <laughs> so we'll we'll see, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. They're all resilient and they'll have my husband, so they'll figure it out. I'm trying to do that with my little guys. I have a, I have twins who are oh, 15 and a half, but then I have an eight and nine year old. And you know, they're still like, mom, make me breakfast. I'm like, just, you, you know where the yogurt is. You know where the mm-hmm. cereal is. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, go yeah. get it. Go just yeah. try it. Why is but why it, is my pouring the milk any better? But I guess it's like a caretaking love thing. You know, I think they just like it. And I think too, when we make their plates, 
we know what's on it. Right? That's true. Like, that is true. And so I know that's why I still make my 15 and my 17 year old plates because I know what's on it. And I know that that veggie is in there. That's true. Yeah. I did walk down once and see him having like a bowl of tortilla chips. And I was like, okay, no, no, no. this is not, this is not going to happen. No, this is not breakfast. Anyway, that's funny. Well, that's so exciting. This is all so great. I'm just so excited to watch you like celebrate this book. It's really good and really it's just really good. Is it going to be a movie? Have you sold the rights? Oh my goodness. So from your lips to God's ears, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that is always the dream. So I will keep you posted on that. Okay. I always like to say that, you know, something behind the scenes is sort of working on my behalf and it just has not reached me just yet. Amazing. Um, and in your downtime, what do you like to read? So I just finished reading Eleanor Shearer's new book, uh, River Sing Me Home, which I thought was just beautiful. I'm listening right now to The Violin Conspiracy. Oh, by I Brendan. love oh, Yes. And the narrator is so good. I'm always reading one book and listening to one book at the same time. Um, so that's sort of what's on my plate right now. Amazing. Um, well, I'm opening a bookstore in California next month. So if you're out in the LA area and you want to pop by or whatever, um, it's oh, in Santa Monica. So. I would love that. I'm I'm in Los Angeles, I think the third week of February. So we'll have to connect on that. I'd love to oh, pop in. Amazing. Yeah. We opened February 18th and 19th and having author signings all weekend. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To- oh. We'll, we'll have to I'll, connect I'll, on that. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll touch base with your publicist and see. But uh, yeah, do you have a dress? By the way, I know your shirt looks very much so the same color scheme as the dress on the cover, which is this fabulous blue and this woman, you know, look at all. I do not have my blue dress yet. And so I put out a message yesterday on Instagram for some help. So people have been sending me links where I can go and find a dress. I, I really want to dress like the cover of the book for my, for my, at least the first night of, yeah. of, of publication. Um, so we will see. I am, I am, I have a little time. <laughs> I'm going to try to find you this link too, because my husband found this I was saying how I want to dress like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You know, I just like love that time period. Like this, pretty much like this too. Um, I'll pretend that this is what my body looks like, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, he found this costume design place where all the dresses are like between $25 and $50, but they all have that same style. Like the fabric's yes. not nice, but it's... it's It'll do what it needs to do it while does, I'm on It stage. did the trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did the trick. Yeah. I'm going to look for it after this and I'll see if I can send it. But um, anyway, Stiqua, was so nice to chat with you. Just great to get to know you and congratulations on the House of Eve. Well, thank you so much. And if your viewers would love to find me and, and find out where my book tour is, uh, please go to my website, which is sadiquajohnson.net. Click on the events section. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I am Sadiqua Says, and I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. It has been an honor and a privilege. You don't know how long I have waited to be able to speak with you. So really? thank you. Thank oh. you. Yes. Yes. oh my gosh. I feel like it's an honor. So there you go. <laughs> um, well, thank you. I, I super appreciate this invitation and it's been a great time with you. Oh, you too. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.